Welcome. This is Word is Truth Christian Church. This is Doug Presley. It is 6-16-2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have prayer, and we'll begin. Thank you, Father, for this time we have together. We thank you for those who have joined in our, our fellowship and, and prepared to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for this church. Father, we're always so grateful that we have an opportunity to come and to express our ideas uh, and, and to think about your word. So we ask for wisdom as we approach your word tonight, asking especially as we're approaching these verses that are ahead of us. Also, Father, we pray for those in this world who are also coming to the knowledge of the truth just as we are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So, our normal course of study is in Romans. This is where we are tonight. Romans chapter 9. And we're going to talk verse 17 tonight. So, we have a little bit of time before we do. And we'll take a, a moment to see if there are follow-up questions, any, whatever's on your mind, not just questions, we'll take our time. And the uh, floor is open. Quiet tonight. Yeah. We have to use some of those questions you got in the box. Well, um... Actually, I don't have my box open <laughs> at this moment, but it's okay if we don't have any questions. Remember, it's not just questions, it's thoughts, anything you're thinking about that you want to talk about. doesn't have to be that I have a burning question, but uh, we got a lot of notes, so if we don't have any questions, we will proceed into Romans. So I will pause just to be sure. And uh, well, I, I do have a situation going on. Uh oh, a situation. And maybe you can give me some guidance. Uh, I'll try. Go right ahead, yeah. Bill. Okay. Right, so there's a there's a guy that I'm about to do some work for. I've known him for a while. Um, a church, the roof had fell on the church, and um, he's not a holy roller or nothing, but you know he's. He calls himself wanting to do uh, this deed for the church because he says, that's who I am, you know. So so he, he, after talking to him and we're going through this thing for a while, I could see that he thinks that God is going to really smile upon him because he's about to put this church back together from the tragedy that it, that occurred. Mm. And, and, he, and he's really diligent. I mean, I, I would hate to do anything to take away his... His, uh, his diligence of putting this thing back together because the church really needs the, the work done. And um, so I was thinking that if I gave him the gospel and told him the truth about things, he might lose his enthusiasm about putting this building back together. What do you think? Hmm, why do you think he would lose his enthusiasm? Because his whole purpose of doing it is thinking that he is really going to gain God's approbation by putting this church together. 
it's a good thing. From the conversation that we had. It is a good thing that he puts. Uh-huh. The, it is a good thing that it he, is. that he helps, it is. right? So I'm I'm not trying to discourage him from doing what he thinks he ought to do or should do. This is his call. But um, listen, giving the gospel is never a failure. <laughs> if you have an opportunity to give the gospel, then it's never bad. It's always good. If you can speak a word for the Lord, listen, eternal destiny is the most important thing. And further, I would say that we, we always want to just be mindful. Look, we all came from somewhere. So there are all kinds of churches out there, all kinds of isms and things that people have belonged to. I, I could tell you, you know, you know my history. And... Um, we just have to be mindful that not everybody's coming from the same direction. We all we all come together and we're one, but people don't understand that initially. And God may be he I would say he is drawing people in other churches as well. So anytime we have an opportunity to speak a word for the Lord, I would I would always take it no matter what. I don't see why uh, that would discourage him. I w- unless, even if he understood that it's salvation is by grace, he's not going to get any, uh, you know, salvation browning points by doing this. The only way he, to be saved is, is through uh, by grace through faith. So if he really he he really needs to understand that, so that his giving can be acceptable to God, and it's certainly no nothing wrong in what he is attempting to do but we want him to do it for the right motive but uh certainly giving the gospel can't hurt that at least in, from my perspective yeah. well, of course he thinks he already knows the gospel of course but um i, I, I try not to get into any uh confrontation on, on his theology because i see what he's about and why he's doing what he's doing he doesn't really, I mean, he, his, he grew up in the church, but he don't even go to the church. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's his home church, the one he, his mama and daddy made him go to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know how that goes. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's a shame, you know, that the church got devastated that way. What happened and, to you know, roof? I really got to look up any word. <laughs> but, so, you know, but I don't, I don't want to discourage him from, He's really putting a good hand in. I mean, what he's doing is great, but I I just got the feeling from his conversation that if he, he understands the truth, that what he's doing is, is not gonna um, bring no brownie points or or things of what he thinks is gonna do for him. I think he would be discouraged. I mean, that's just my feeling. I could be wrong. Now, naturally, once the, he gets it all done, I'd be gun ho to give him all the truth. But I was just uh, well, trying to bite my tongue every time I'm around this guy. I, I it, it, I'd say you should can you should think about um, does he know the gospel? If he knows the gospel, then you know that I'd say the greatest hindrance to people learning the gospel is that they think they already know it. That's one of the biggest hurdles is for you you start telling them the gospel i already know the gospel i'm saved 
But then, as you talk to them a little more, it's almost like you gotta you gotta press the issue. And sometimes you get people who are, are pressed out of measure. They don't wanna. They think, oh, who is he to tell me that I'm not saved? And so then they get their back up against the wall, and their hackles are up. They don't want to hear what you gotta say. So really, if a person is willing to listen to you, listen. Uh, this has nothing to do with a church or motivation or even if I, if he understood that the gospel is free and there's it's grace. I mean, that is the motive that we have, that he be saved. We don't know what might happen tomorrow to that person. He may not make it till tomorrow. And so we just want to make sure that if anybody is is willing, then we have an opportunity. Now, it's not your, your job to say, oh, by the way, you shouldn't put your money in that church. That's not your, your job. It's not your call. So let, him, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, if he doesn't want to fund the church, so be it. If he does want to continue to fund it, that's fine. But it doesn't matter either way when it comes to the gospel, whether he funds the church or not. He should know that. Uh, if he doesn't, then you know he he's got a few things that are not correct in his theology. Because, but it's nothing wrong with a charitable uh, gesture like that to give the you know roof fell in. It doesn't even have to be a church. The roof falls in. It could be on anybody, and you decide. You know, I want to I want to help that family. I want to help that church, whatever, you could do that. Now, of course, I, I, I don't see myself supporting a ministry that I know is not teaching the, the gospel and the way of truth. I don't see myself supporting a ministry doing that, if that is the thought, but I'm just giving my own uh, opinion about it. I'll pause. Yeah, I'm not even sure what, what, what the church, what their doctrines are. I'm just going by him. Um, and like I said, he doesn't even go to the church. Church could be on, on point, but he's not. Oh, then for all <laughs> more. thinking that yeah. if he's putting his church together, you know, God is just going to just pour out his soul to him or something. I'd say for more reason, you you might need to tell them what the gospel is. It, it, don't tell them, hey, <laughs> let me tell you, this is not how it works. That's not the That's not what you lead with. I'd say you want to lead with the gospel, you know. But you you got to work that in. If he already thinks he's saved, then you already got your work cut out for you. <laughs> so you can't just definitely do. You it, it, it can go like this. Uh, he thinks he's saved, and you say mm, you're not saved, and he says, "What do you mean? I'm not saved. Who do you think you are?" Right? It could go like that. So you have to be careful, wise as a serpent, as you approach him. So that you don't offend him, and next thing you know, he he, he closes the door. So if the door's open, yeah, no, no, I would I I know how to how to be discreet. I'm, and, yeah, and yeah, like I'm I said, wise. Yeah, no, it, it's just that, uh, like I said, I was just concerned about his 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 uh, ambitiousness. He actually want to do the work. Oh yeah, he thinks that that work is really gonna just gain him. So much uh, admiration for God. Oh well, 
again, there's so many people with so many misconceptions about how to gain God's favor that we can't be in front of everybody to tell them the right way. It's, and some of this is a matter of progression. It has to learn, you know, you start with the gospel and you build your way up to what true giving is, right? What, what's the proper motivation? All those things take a little time to, it's not just intuitive that we know how. You see what happens when intuition gets in. You're, you have what you have right now. So, it's, you know, you never know. You just, I'd say just do, it, do what, you, what is in your heart to do, you know. And I already know what that is. <laughs> you wouldn't be asking a question or, or sharing the experience if, if, if you didn't want to give the gospel. I will pause. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will take your uh, advice. Uh, I, w- I would think I would think it's a good thing. It's an eternal decision, so let's see what happens. We'll pray. We'll pray about it, and let the Lord lead you. Yeah. Prayer shoots motivation. You know, what I was thinking about. What was I thinking today? I was saying prayer in my head as I was thinking. I, I didn't say this to anybody, but in my head I was thinking prayer changes things you know i was thinking about that song prayer changes things and that's true prayer does change things circumstances all kinds of things god can do give people different looks at it you know prayer can god may give that person a different opportunity different look there's different things but guess what prayer cannot change us doctrine bible doctrine changes us so prayer changes things but the Bible changes us. That's we are transformed into his image through the word. So but anyway, uh, that's that's the thought. Other thoughts out there before we head into the book of Romans. Well, sounds like some consensus there. So let's do it. Let's head into Romans. So we're at and hopefully you have some notes. I sent them kind of late, but either way, there are some notes. And Romans nine seventeen is the scripture at hand. It says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So the one prevailing thought in most Christians is that they might be used mightily of God. We can look at the classics like Moses, David, Daniel, and who can forget Isaiah's courageous statement? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. That's in Isaiah 6, 8. There is a sense of joy when we know we are being used of God and walking in his will. The most important thing to know in all of this is that God has a plan. God's plan demands that he have a will to accomplish his purpose, his purposes. God will not fail, and of this we can be sure. 
So when I think about it, as, as you know, what's ahead of us, Pharaoh. Uh, when we think about who Pharaoh is and you know, why that's important to us, uh, why are we here, this is the first point. Why are we talking about Pharaoh? Uh, and the answer to that is God is going to use Pharaoh to illustrate what he has been saying about his sovereignty. So now, it's kind of interesting when we think about Pharaoh, because Pharaoh is sort of, that's kind of like we're talking about one subject, and then all of a sudden I bring up Pharaoh as an illustration. It seems a little awry. So let's see, we, we really need to make sure we understand why the apostle brought up Pharaoh. And there's two things to, to think about as I, as I go there. Um, that's the first question, why the apostle brought up Pharaoh. But also, we got to remember who is directing the apostle Paul to write these things. So it's not just him alone. He, the scripture is God-breathed. That means, as you look at your inhale and exhale, uh, the writers of Scripture, apostles and prophets, inhale God's will, purpose, and plan. All right? they, God directly tells them, and then they exhale what they write according to their own personality, literary style, uh, culture, uh, their norms and standards. They exhale God's word. So this is how, when we say the word is God breathed, God breathes it in, we breathe it out from our perspective. So you got people who were farmers, uh, people who were businessmen, you got people who were religious people, professional religious people like the Apostle Paul. And when they breathe it out, they're getting their personality, their literary writing style, everything about them. You get to learn. Uh, so you get to learn God's word, that is. Which is, is the most important way of communication that God uh, has undertaken to bring us his word. So when we hear from the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter or Moses, or whomever we are talking about, that's how they wrote what they wrote. They didn't write it because, hey, let me just think, this is uh, according to my own thinking, this is what I think, how it, uh, it all works out. No, we have to put in uh, what the Word of God has taught us. And we're not prophets, so God is not directly telling us what His will, purpose, and plan is. But what we do have in front of us is the Word of God. It's the most important thing that we have in this world. The Word of God. Apart from that, we could not know God's will. The only way we could know anything about God is, is if God tells us. Otherwise, we're left to our own imaginations. So, I take, I'm taking a little time here just so we... Just keep in mind what is important about the Word of God. And so for God to show us what he means in a particular verse by showing illustrations, listen, this is coming from God. And we can dispense with that, okay, I've heard people talk, 
Yeah, I only like the red letters. If if it's in red letters, that's that means I gotta uh, go, I gotta buy by it. But the rest of it, well, you know, it's good good knowledge to know. But I don't, you know, if, if it's in red, you know, that means I gotta focus on it. That's totally wrong thinking. And I think everybody here knows that, but I might as well just say it because not everybody listening to this may be here. That is the way we should make sure we understand that it is the whole Bible that we have, the 66 books of the Old, Test Old Testament and 27 of the New. So that's, that's how we see it. So God is using Pharaoh to illustrate what he has been saying about his sovereignty. Why, why, why can't we just study Pharaoh? Because, because Pharaoh is not the point other than for us to understand what God is trying to illustrate by using him. Right? This, this, may not, this is not an opportunity for us to go into a launch into a study about Pharaoh. This is really about what's happening in Romans chapter 9. So I'm just setting the table, making sure that we are all on the same page. It's really about God's sovereignty. Well, that's what it's been about, right? So we're going to continue in that, and, and we're going to make the assumption from what the Scripture says that God is using Pharaoh as an illustration of his sovereignty, because that's what it's been about up to this point. Point B. We can already see from the story that Pharaoh was not a friend of God. In fact, Pharaoh opposed God. So we're, there's no construct here where we're going to walk away saying, yeah, and Pharaoh was, a, was saved and Pharaoh was a friend of God. He was not. He was clearly not. There was, there was absolutely no... I can't understand how... Uh, Pharaoh, now, wait a minute. Let me, I shouldn't say that. Pharaoh could have been a believer. But, but I doubt it very much for him to oppose God in the way he did. So, it is, and, and depend on his magicians and, you know, people who were soothsayers and different things. That was where he depended, not on God for his strength. So it, it is clear Pharaoh opposed God. I can't put anybody in heaven or, or, or say anything about their salvation because salvation is free. Pharaoh could have acted any kind of way he wanted to because all he would have had to do is one time in his life believe in God. And that is not just God, but the Savior to come, the provision of God for all mankind. And if they did that, which is non-meritorious, they had to look away from themselves. If they did that one time in their life, Scripture says they are saved. It's not about Pharaoh's sins. Pharaoh's sins were all paid for on the cross. Yeah, so could he have been saved? Yeah, all he had to do was trust in the Savior to come, which is the God of Israel. However, that was the very God he was opposing. And he was trusting in false gods. Anyway, that's not even the point. Okay, 
Point C, we already saw how God called Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob, who became Israel. We, we saw that. Now, we didn't get into the place where Jacob, I think we might have read a couple of scriptures about Jacob becoming Israel. That was the name that God changed uh, from Jacob to Israel. So God watched over them every step to create the nation Israel. And the Israel, the nation, is Jacob's sons. That's who, uh, how we come to the nation Israel, Jacob's sons. So, so Jacob, I mean, uh, Abraham, God was very specific in how he called Abraham, how he called Isaac, and how he called Jacob. Very specific. Specific. And now we are seeing God giving us an illustration about Pharaoh and Egypt. Because remember, the nation Israel went into slavery. Now, not initially. You remember the story about Joseph and how he was sold into slavery by the, uh, to the Midianites who sold J Jacob to Potiphar as a slave. And Joseph uh, eventually went through, became... Uh, was thrown in the dungeon of uh, the Pharaoh. Eventually, uh, Joseph ascended out of that situation and became second in command next to the Pharaoh of Egypt. So this was huge. I mean, this is how Israel got into Egypt. And uh, you know, I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say you know the story. If you don't know the story, you should at least familiarize yourself with how all this happened. Then, uh, a new pharaoh came in town. And this new pharaoh didn't have the same regard for people of Israel and relegated them to slavery. And this is how it developed. Israel was in Egypt under slavery for many years. And so God wanted uh, the, the, the then pharaoh, when he was finally ready to free Egypt, to let his people go. So God is so. So we're talking. Who are we talking? He, we're talking Israel is in slavery. Now this Israel is not just any old nation. This is the nation that God Himself created, and now this nation is in slavery and bondage under Egypt. Now, Egypt was one of the most powerful nations in the world. And this is not um, some group of 20 or 30 people, you know. We're talking the most powerful nation in the world at the time. One of the most powerful nations. Very notably so. So, so this is interesting as we develop that. Um, if you haven't seen the story, point D, now he calls Pharaoh. This is in our context of Romans 9. Obviously, the subject is not salvation. We already talked about that. We already uh, saw from the... And how do we know it's not salvation? Because that's not what he's talking about from the previous uh, verses we covered, especially Jacob and Esau. It's not about salvation. And so we, we're not thinking that, oh, 
God is going to tell us something about Pharaoh because he wants to tell us about salvation. No, we agree that it is about God's sovereignty. So, as we saw throughout how he called Abraham, how he called Isaac, all the particulars that went into that. And then he spent a lot of time, a lot of scripture, talking about how he formed the nation Israel. So it's important that we see that it's about God's sovereignty. And we're going to continue with that thought as we look at Pharaoh. Pharaoh like to say the king. Like to say the, we could like say that it's the he's the president of the United States. Really, he's has greater power than the president of the United States because he could do anything he wants as king, as Pharaoh. So point E, Pharaoh would play a special role in God's plan to create the nation Israel. So Israel is already created, but they're in bondage, as we already we just said. So Pharaoh's going to play a role in this. And, well, the very next scripture tells us the role that Pharaoh's going to play. And God says this to him. He literally, he says, and we're headed to the next point number two. We're headed to that next scripture. For this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So what we have here is God giving us a declaration, and he actually is talking to Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh uh, does not care about the word of God. He does not care about who God is. He, it, it is very apparent, as you, if you were to look at the back and forth, that you we will see in some of these verses. So, for point A, Paul references Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. So let's go there. Let's go to the book of Exodus. And let's see the verse before us. And we'll look at Exodus 9, 13 through 16. Let's just look at this passage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. Or, this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials uh, and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now, I could, I like this verse, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. God, God is saying, look, you don't know, really, I mean, really, do you know who you're talking to? I, I mean, I could have just done this and you would have been not even on the earth. However, remember, God is saying, uh, he says, um, He's doing this so that they will know that he's proclaiming his power. They might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So this is the very verse, verse 16, but I have raised you up for this very purpose. And, you know, and so when you think about that, you see Pharaoh playing a role 
in how God establishes Israel as a nation. He's playing a role. So it, it is not like what is a common role that we would see in the plan of God. We see Pharaoh from a negative standpoint of resisting God and obviously God prevailing over Pharaoh to get what he wanted, but it is done in public. Imagine, like, the United States is one of the most powerful nations in the world. Imagine somebody coming to President Biden and all of his cabinet, both the Houses of Congress, and saying that they wanted something, uh, them, them to do something. Uh, that would literally be an act of war for them to be demanding something like that. And, and when you think about how big the United States is and how powerful the United States is, what would it take for some, some power to come and overrule the power that we have? It would, I would say it would take a mighty force. And that's what happened to, Israel, uh, to Egypt as we look at it. So he says, but I have raised you up for this very purpose. This is Exodus 9, 16 that I might show you my power and that here and my name who I am might be proclaimed in all the earth so through the nation Israel being freed from the hands and grip of Egypt God is going to demonstrate who he is his power his wisdom and his might and freeing the people uh, who is called? Who are called Israel? His special nation. This, this nation is important to God. So point B. Um, did I finish? Yes, I did finish that. So point B. Some things to know. If you look at the story, you might think God turned Pharaoh's heart to refuse to let the people go. But take some time to read how Pharaoh hardened his own heart first. Now this is a, hopefully, I don't know who here has read um, the point here. Um, you know, I put these scriptures in for your reference. We may be able to read some of them, and I definitely want to read the first one. But I put these in for your reference to know that Pharaoh made his own decisions here. Some people say, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, what does that mean? It means that God turned Pharaoh's volition from, from positive to negative? Is, did God influence Pharaoh to make him make a decision that he made? So some people, and there are scriptures that say, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There are some. But I just want you to know, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart first. I'm going to go to a couple scriptures, and we will not read all of them. Uh, I will leave some of these for you to read. There's a ton of scriptures here. So Exodus 7, 2 and 3, here's, here's a point to make. Uh, you are to say everything I command. This is Moses and Aaron and what they should do when they go before Pharaoh. This is what the Lord is telling him. You are to do everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of this country. Now, verse 7 
chapter uh, 7, verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Notice, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And, and verse 4, he will not listen to you. And then he says, Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment, and I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. Okay, so it looks... Now, when you look at this, what does it mean? I will harden Pharaoh's heart. What are we, what are we saying in this? God is saying that this is the result of when he comes or he tells Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh, God is saying, even before, these are before the plagues start, he's saying, this is the result that's going to happen. Moses, you ought to know this. Aaron, you ought to know this. This is what Pharaoh's heart's going to be hard. By me coming to Pharaoh, asking him, he will not listen. And because Pharaoh thinks he holds all the cards. I mean, he's got this huge army. I mean, when at the end, when he finally did let the people go because of the plague of the firstborn, and Israel went into the wilderness, all of these people, I mean, millions of people, I mean, and their cattle and their possessions, and wow. So this is, uh, they're headed out, and they were confronted. They were at their, this place where they, they rested. And then Pharaoh came to himself again and said, you know, that's it. I changed my mind again. I'm going, I'm going after these people. And so no matter what, Pharaoh changed his mind. He kept changing his mind. And, but God knew that that was going to be the final result, that Pharaoh was going to change his mind and not let the people go. So that's what he's saying in summary in verses 7, 3, and 4. Says Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened. Now, why would Pharaoh's heart... Was Pharaoh's heart hardened before God got to Pharaoh? God just knew what Pharaoh was going to do. But really, Pharaoh's heart was hard against the request that God made. So, let's keep going. We need to read a couple of scriptures so we can see what actually happened. So look at verses 13 and 14. Now we're getting into the plague, the first plague. Here's 13. Uh, well, well, I'll start at 12. Each one threw down his staff and became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up the other staffs, up their staffs, right? So this is, you, you know the story about the staffs turning into serpents, right? Verse 13, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them. Notice, just like what we saw before, God is saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, and he will not listen to you. Same thing here in verse 13. Just as the Lord had said, well, that's what I just said. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding, and he refuses to let the people go. So there, there you have God is this showing you, even before the first plague, when God shows a demonstration of power, he's showing that Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He's not willing to let the people go. He is just not willing to do that. That is not something he would even consider. 
It is not on the table for, for Pharaoh to do this. God knows this. And no one has asked Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh thinks those are his people. But what he doesn't know is Israel came about through God's selection of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of their numbers, God is saying it's time for them to be a nation. Let my people go. Notice it's always my people. Pharaoh thinks it's his people. God is saying it's my people. So, verse 15. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, not 15. So that's just the first. And let's look at, uh, let's look at uh, verse 22. Let's move down to verse 22. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And, and here it is. Pharaoh's heart became hard. Why did Pharaoh's heart become hard? Because he thought his magicians and his soothsayers could do what God can do. So what is the result of Pharaoh turning his heart? He's saying, basically saying, no, I'm not going to let people go. And, and what does this next scripture say? He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. So even though the Lord said this, here we see it coming true by Pharaoh. And how do we see it coming true? Pharaoh refusing to do what God wanted him to do. And remember, we're seeing all of this and saying that God did this to demonstrate his power. That not only his power in freeing Egypt, but that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And sure enough, the resistance that God knew is certainly being seen. All right, so let's skip down to verse uh, chapter 8 and verse 15. So chapter 8, verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw, and this is this is the next plague, which is about the frogs. <laughs> I can tell you, I, I would have... Frogs, I ain't so worried about the frogs, but they were everywhere, right? Oh my gosh, this was horrible. So 15 says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a relief. In other words, first he was like, please, Moses, take this away. Okay, please. Moses says, okay, sure. I'll tell God to to uh, stop the frogs, and they were they were piles into they, they were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. It stunk. Verse fifteen. But Pharaoh, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened. Notice who hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. It would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Who hardened his heart? He did. That's really what happened from the beginning. What does it mean he hardened his heart? He said no. After they got some relief from the plague, he was like, well, no, I'm not letting those people go. That's what hardened heart means. No. So so that's how that went down. And then um, verse 19, what do we have? The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. That's who he depended on. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. And what does that mean? He would not listen. Just as the Lord had said. Same thing again. Verse 32. Let's look at it. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen and would not to let the people go. So again, we know what it means for Pharaoh to harden his heart. It means he just said no. Don't make it out to be 
And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In other words, God forced Pharaoh to say no so that he could get whatever he wanted. No, no, that's not it. He just knew what was the case. And that's how he responded. So then let's read a couple more. I said we weren't going to read all of these scriptures, but maybe it's okay if we read a little bit more. Uh, 9, chapter 9, verse 7. And this is the fifth plague. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. And what is, what is Pharaoh's disposition? Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. So <laughs> he's a tough one. And you would think after all of this, Pharaoh would, would say, wait a minute. And here, the boils. Oh my gosh, this is verse 12. What, what happened then? But the Lord, now here, here it is, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. So God goes back to, look, I told you his heart would be hard against me. Why was his heart hard? It's because, the, because Moses and Aaron told Pharaoh to let the people go. So if the Lord hadn't said that, Pharaoh wouldn't have had a hard heart with reference to it. So that's why it says, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So we'll read maybe a couple more. One more. Um, 34 and 35 in chapter 9. Let's go down. And this will end with this one. Uh, 34 and 35, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. Now, who, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? He, he did with reference to God's demand. God didn't say, uh, could you please let my people go? He said, let my people go. He demanded Verse 35, so Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had said through Moses. So it keeps repeating the similar things that, uh, you know, about Pharaoh. I just wanted to throw that out there because I heard some people take the interpretation that God somehow fixed Pharaoh so that he would respond in a certain way. That's not true. God made a request of Pharaoh and knew how he was going to respond. So we're going to move uh, past that. There's more plagues to consider. And there was something toward the end that I thought was important. Um, I wanna, I'm going to turn to 14.4. Uh, 14.4. This is crossing the Red Sea. So, uh, verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So, th again, we, we are seeing more evidence of how this whole thing worked out. How God continuing to ask Pharaoh to, or tell Pharaoh to let the people go. Uh, Pharaoh continuing to dig his heels in and say, absolutely not. Even though 
when things got so unbearable, Pharaoh's like, okay, let him go then. So he wanted to relief. And sure enough, relief came. What happened? Pharaoh, he really didn't plan on letting the people go. He just wanted the relief. Now, you know, personally, two, two of the plagues would have just bothered me. Well, there's more than two of the plagues. All of them would have bothered me tremendously. But two of them were really bad. The gnats and the flies. Ugh. Now, if the gnats were those no see kind of gnats <laughs> like they have in Florida, where they bite you and you got to get them off of you, whoa, can you imagine that? So anyway, uh, those gnats would have been it for me. I was like, oh, no. And then the flies, oh, my gosh. I, there's no way. I can't imagine how Pharaoh let his people go through all of that trouble. But at the end of it, and then I want to turn to, oh, I got to turn to this last one. Um, that was chapter 14, 4. Actually, it's, is that the last one? No, we'll get to it. Uh, but I think it's 13, I wanted to read the part, yeah, so 13, 14, and 15. I think maybe, I gotta, let me just see, 13, 14, and 15. The days to come. Okay, yeah, this is the one I wanted to read. So this is after they did the Feast of Unleavened Bread and all that, right? Because they were, they had let people go and God, they came out and they worshiped. So this is one of the proclamations that was said. In the days to come, verse 14, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn, both people and animals, in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem uh, each of my firstborn sons. So notice it, a, another summary and a declaration. But notice verse 15, who, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go. There it is. These were choices he made of his own free will. God does not manipulate. He just knows. In fact, he knows every believer uh, who is on or will be a believer on the earth. He knew every person, whatever decision they were going to make before they made it. Just like it says, before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. I mean, that's, God knows what's going to happen in time. He, he understands every detail, every moment of time. He understands it. And he knows, in this case, he was going to use Pharaoh for his own purposes. So, point C in our notes. There, there's, you could look up those scriptures. They're all there for you if you'd like to review them yourself. And you can see the point. The point is not necessarily related to uh, our context, but I needed to make that point because some people think that hardening somehow is manipulative. Uh, in fact, there are some people who think that God chooses people uh, without regard at all of, of their circumstances. 
God is the one who selected us to be here, so that way we could be in this particular age. And we don't get to choose that. But they think salvation is based on God's choosing, so that they, what, when God chooses somebody, they, they now are saved. But that circumvents their free will. You know, let him who thirsts come. Let him who wants to drink the water of life come. Let the one who wills come, says Revelation. It, God is not circumventing the way of salvation. So let's move in. So we can see God used Pharaoh's stubborn heart. We, he knew that Pharaoh would not let the people go from the start. And that verse 7, 2, and 3 is where even before the plagues, everything started. God told Moses and Aaron, this is how it's going to go down. You ought to know Pharaoh's there's going to be plagues. There's, I'm going to show my power. But you should know that Pharaoh's not going to let the people go. And that resistance was used to show God's power in extracting his people from Egypt. So that's, that's a point to make. right? We are seeing what? What are we seeing? We're seeing God's sovereignty here. God said to the most powerful nation in the world, let my people go. Who's his people? The nation Israel. What, what has this whole conversation been about? God's forming of the nation Israel. That's how it is. That, that's what happened. God formed the nation Israel, and this is about that. So we need to keep that in mind. So that point D, what if Pharaoh was told to let the people go and said, sure, okay. We would have this tremendous display of God. It should be, we would not have. Uh, I really didn't do the notes well here. Sorry. Should, we, should, we would not have this tremendous display of God's power over man. Now, I just want you to look at, there's Psalm 136 and 15. Uh, I'm just going to turn to that. This is this psalm is David, so hundreds of years later from Moses. Psalm 136. This is what we're seeing. 136.15. Wow. Uh, well, we could... Yeah, so 136.15 says, But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever. So the whole scripture, verse 14, well, we can even go back to 12. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. This is a song. That's what psalm means. His love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever, but swept Pharaoh and his army into this, the Red Sea. His love endures forever. Uh, so, and then it goes on. He led his people through the wilderness. This is, becomes part of Israel's heritage. And they're singing songs about it. It's like Miriam sang the song about how after they got through the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh was drowned in the Red Sea. So, the, I brought this verse because some people think, and this is some uh, 
of Israel's, uh, you know, way of they looked at it, some of the extra biblical material that is found, I think it's the Tanakh or something. I, I may be making it wrong. They, but they're saying that um, part of what happened with Jonah and Nineveh is that Pharaoh survived the, uh, you know, being drowned in the Red Sea and somehow became the king of Nineveh, the same Pharaoh, this is what they're saying. So they're, they're making this whole story about when Jonah, uh, he knew it was Pharaoh and this and that. And, you know, there's this whole thing. We'll talk about it after. But this is the thought. But in this verse, it tells us that Pharaoh himself and his army were in the Red Sea. And was swept Pharaoh and his army into the wet Red Sea. And they died there in the Red Sea. Somehow in the... Uh, some of the writings of Israel that they respect, there's a story about how Pharaoh really didn't die in the Red Sea, but he was in Nineveh somehow. So that's how that's how you have to, you know, I just thought maybe that might be a good verse to bring. In point E, again, we see God demonstrating his sovereignty and establishing the nation Israel. This nation was clearly all of God's power and will. In other words, there's no way Israel could have come about had uh, God not expended, exercised his power to bring not only Israel, to choose Israel, uh, to, you know, his hand, as I say, was all over it. Uh, there's no way Israel could have become a nation apart from God's miraculous power and will. That's what we ought to see from this whole thing. His sovereignty and choosing and his power. Israel was a miraculous nation. Point F, and this is what we'll close with. God is telling Israel this. In other words, through the Apostle Paul, he's talking about Pharaoh in this, in this regard because he wants to see that the church was, he wants us to see and them to see that the church was born in the same way. In other words, through signs, wonders, and miracles. And first of all, it is through the person of Christ who came and said he would build his church. On this rock, I will build my church. Christ did many miraculous signs, wonders, and miracles. Sure enough, after Christ was crucified, buried, and raised again, uh, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the miracles, signs, and wonders continued through those apostles who he named as the, the head of the church. So the church was built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. That's Ephesians 2 and 20. So what, what is that to say? Israel, you need to respect God's choices. And that's what, you know, God made some choices. And that's how... Uh, Israel has to learn respect. And remember, why are we, are we saying this in the first place? Because Israel objected to God choosing the church. That is why they objected to it. So when we read, this is what they don't want. Uh, is, 
says uh, Ephesians 1 3 a praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will so all of that Israel rejects they hate it and but yet God continued and he built his church I'm just going to read first Corinthians and there's other lots of other good scriptures that talk about the church but I like this first Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, 31 through 33 so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. Now notice the categories of people that are on the earth, whether Jews, Greeks, as Gentiles, or the church of God. So the church is a definite entity on the earth. Even as I try to please everyone in every way. So is, are there other categories? No. Paul is saying, this is everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Now, obviously, the church is already saved. You can't be in the church unless you're saved. So he's talking about the other two groups that are here. So, this, this is the thought as we think about Pharaoh and how God used Pharaoh. And why he used Pharaoh. It is huge. It is still, today spoken of how God uh, extracted his people over a million people and their possessions and their cattle and everything from Egypt and you could read the story more in Exodus but it is a demonstration of God's miraculous power if he wants, in, in doing what he wants to do, he's not saying, let me show you my power for whatever reason, any reason. No, it's specific. Not only did God call Abraham, he called Isaac, he called Jacob. And, and then he watched over Israel as they were um, in Egypt. He brought Joseph there. They got in Egypt. He, he still watched over carefully everything that happened to Israel. In Egypt and eventually he got it was the timing when the time was right God said that's it it's time for my people to be a nation under me he brought them out of Egypt through miraculous signs wonders and miracles he brought them uh, through the Red Sea and he brought them to the mountain Mount Sinai where he gave them his covenant and formed them as the nation Israel so this is, this is a miraculous undertaking of God. We'll continue with this thought in Romans 9 because God continues to make the points uh, that are appropriate here. So verse 18, Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. We'll talk about that next week as we go forward. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thanks, Father. We... We're grateful for your word that has been preserved for us. We thank you for the illustration about Pharaoh and, 
and the fact that we can know that we are walking in truth as we follow you through your signs, wonders, and miracles, that we are following your plan, your purpose. And as we have also understood about our calling, our specific calling, the church, we know that there is nothing that can stop you from doing what you will do. But that not only that no one can stay your hand, but that you are righteous in what you're doing. And you have taken time to demonstrate your righteousness and how you have executed your eternal purpose. So Father, while Israel may not understand and may not know and may be inspired by Satan to say the things that they have done, which would be to accuse you, to say that the word of God has failed, to say that Israel somehow has failed. But we know that you have a future for Israel and that uh, the church was hidden in, in, in part of your plan from the very beginning, uh, even though it was hidden from Israel. So, Father, we thank you for the, the, the forethought that you have included us in your eternal purpose. Father, we're here to serve. So we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.